Hey mama, did you know you're a superhero? That's right, believe it. What's your superpower, you ask? Your intuition. We have a unique sixth sense for what our kids need and when they need it. My tribe and I call this mom sense. When you're a first time parent, it's scary and lonely and so exhausting. I know this all too well. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, and now a mother of three, twin toddlers and a baby, or my two for one and BOGO special. (laughs) I was thrown into the deep end of motherhood and it would sink or swim. I made a plan of action with my husband, built my village, met the right people, asked a ton of questions, and have learned so much in these early years. It's okay if you don't have time to read all the parenting books out there. And if you're watching YouTube videos on how to increase your supply while nursing or pumping and simultaneously posting in your neighborhood mommy group and buying diapers on Amazon. I've been there. That's why I launched my podcast for the mom on the go. You can passively listen when you're doing a drop off in your minivan, heading to work on the subway or cooking dinner for your family. I interview industry experts and real-life mamas on their MomSense experiences, tackling topics like what to expect when you're done expecting, dealing with mom guilt, how to teach your kids to meditate, rekindling your marriage, and how to master your five-minute makeup routine. And you know what the best part is? Each episode has tangible takeaways, homework that's fun, so you feel somehow changed for the better after listening to it. Not to mention relatable stories, inspiring quotes, and the best product recommendations from fellow moms. Hashtag mom win. Grab your latte that probably went from steaming hot to ice cold and take a listen to That's Total Mom Sense. Today, I have a very special guest joining me on That's Total Mom Sense. Arriving in the fashion capital of New York from her hometown of Nebraska, Mary Lou Luther is an industry icon. She knew nothing about fashion when she started her career at the Des Moines Register. Fast forward 40 some odd years, and she is the creative director of Fashion Group International, editor of the International Fashion Syndicate, CFDA award winner, syndicated clotheslines columnist, and more. Mary Lou's biannual ready-to-wear trend report for FGI narrated in her signature authoritative, sophisticated voice, sets the seasonal tone with her much-anticipated summaries. It's no wonder her trend reports are followed by industry professionals in 28 regions all over the world. And now I have to share how Mary Lou and I met. So we met back in 2009 in Mumbai, or as I call it, Bombay, India. So I was there working um, for the CNN affiliate, and I was um, an entertainment and fashion correspondent, and I was covering LACME Fashion Week. Mary Lou was giving a presentation on the history of fashion, and this was something I wasn't aware of um, until I learned about it when she when she gave her presentation. Um, she spoke about Elsa Schiaparelli and Coco Chanel and took us through the ages. Um, it was such a compelling presentation. I went up to her afterwards, introduced myself, and as we started talking, we realized we are sorority sisters. <laughs> We're both part of Gamma Phi Beta. And it was just so serendipitous to be able to establish a connection like that right off the bat. And I'm so fortunate to have her 
as a sorority sister and a mentor and so much more. Mary Lou, thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Yes, you're very welcome. So now I want to kind of have you set the stage and take us back to your childhood in Nebraska. Um, What was it like growing up for you? I was born in a little town population at that time, 1,203. (laughs) Today, it's 1,089. Um, My father was an entrepreneur. He ran a grocery store. He had three farms. He grew cattle, buffalo, peacocks. He was very interested in the outdoor world. My mother was a reader. Uh, I don't know how many books she read a week but she was the first president of the library in Cambridge, Nebraska. Okay. (laughs) So I grew up watching her read. She didn't read aloud. I just read last week that you should read aloud to your children, that Mm -hmm. people who do, uh, their children's brains are better. They do better on the tests. Okay. Okay. I thought that was interesting. At least they said an hour a day. Yes. Yes, yes. Actually, our pediatrician does recommend that from any age group, even a Mm one-month-old, start the reading process. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Very smart. Mm -hmm. So growing up in a very small town, I also belong to a minority. And I'm forever grateful for being a minority. In this small town, the big religious groups were the Congregationalists, the Methodists, and the Lutherans. And as a Catholic, I always envied my friends who belonged to one of those groups because they had great programs for teenagers Mm -hmm. and they were always doing something. Anyway, I grew up as a minority Mm -hmm. and I know how it feels. So I'm glad for that. Oh, that's wonderful. I remember you telling me that your mom is quite possibly the most stylish woman you knew. (laughs) Uh, uh, Well, Claude Montana, Uh one of the most famous French fashion designers in the 70s, he came to our home in Beverly Hills, and my mother was visiting us, Mm -hmm. and he called her the most, the chicest woman he had ever met. Oh, wow. (laughs) Well, now we can say that about you. No. (laughs) No, you can't. And you grew up with brothers, so you were the only... Well, not really. Okay. Um, my oldest brother was 12 years older than I. Okay. And my other brother, 10 years older than I. And that's a big uh, age difference. Right, right. So they were not really around much as mm. I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about the connection that you had with them. Um, okay. You- my brother, Bob, he was a college uh, football hero. So he had all the attention Mm -hmm. in the family. Mm -hmm. And then, alas, uh, he was a captain in what was then called the Mountain Infantry. He was serving in Italy, and he was killed by a German sniper on the top of uh, Mount Belvedere. Mm -hmm. And my other brother also died tragically of Mm -hmm. an appendicitis. Uh, I mean, how many people die of appendicitis? Nowadays, yeah. No. Hmm. So one thing I remember you telling me was you still remember the Nebraska U cheer song? Oh, yeah. Because, you know, your brother <laughs> you went like to the Rose Bowl. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. 
There is no place like Nebraska, dear old Nebraska, you, where the girls are the fairest, the boys are the squarest of any old school that I knew. Rah, 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 rah. There is no place like Nebraska, where we're all true blue. We all stick together because of the weather in dear old Nebraska, you. Boop. Oh, that was excellent. <laughs> I could have done that better. No, that was perfect. Oh, my goodness. That's really great. Now, fast forward a bit. You knew you wanted to enter the field of journalism. So tell us about your first gig. Well, really, it was thanks to my mother. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother always entertained people who came to Cambridge uh, through the school. And uh, this woman, uh, she was the editor of the University of Nebraska Press. And she was staying with us while she was in Cambridge to give her speech. Okay. And I just fell in love with her. She was an amazing woman. And she said, now, I was in high school. And she said, now, you have to major in in journalism. (laughs) That's what you should do. Right. And I thought, well, she is so smart. Of course, that's what I'm going to do. I always did as I was told. Oh, that's that's (laughs) so sweet. Look at that. And and you had a successful career at that. That isn't really true. (laughs) But um, you started at, it was the Des Moines Register? No, that was my fashion start. Okay, okay. Yes. No, my first job was the day after I graduated from college. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, my, my journalism teacher, Bill Heiss, said, I have a job for you at the Lincoln Journal. Journal, yes, that's right. And I said, uh, he said, but you have to start the day after graduation. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going home. I've worked very hard. I'm going home for the summer. And he said, no, you're not. You're going to take this job. Trust okay. me. So I took the job. Okay. My really major job was moving my boss's car every two hours. So she wouldn't get a ticket. Yeah. And I never questioned that. <laughs> right, right. In today's world, I've heard so many young women say when asked to do something, oh, that wasn't in my job description. In my job description. Yes. Right. Oh. No, it was beneath them. Yeah. I yeah. didn't think it was beneath me at all. Mm-hmm. I soon figured out that the, the police had a long stick with uh, chalk on the end and they would mark the tires. I learned that if you just went up and down, I didn't need to move the car. I just need to get rid of (laughs) the market. That's very like uh, resourceful of you to figure that out. (laughs) I I, I liked having the time. Yes, yes. So um, after the Des Moines Register... I'd been there maybe two or three weeks. They had a good training situation where you spent a week at different desks on Mm -hmm. the paper. Mm -hmm. Okay, I had written a story, I forget which desk, called 1,000 Islands for Sale. So the day I went to my boss, he had named me the fashion editor, and it was way beyond me. I, I was totally intimidated. The woman that I replaced, her uncle owned the paper. I'll never forget sitting next to her as she was showing me the pictures of the Paris haute couture collections as they happened. And uh, she talked about Jacques Fat and the tulip silhouette. And I thought, Jacques Fath. <laughs> I mean, I didn't know who Jacques Fat was. <laughs> yeah. And I definitely did not see a tulip there. Right, right, right. <laughs> this is, uh, but eventually that 
boss, mm-hmm. uh, Frank Ireland, sent me to New York to cover the New York shows. Okay. And that kind of started the whole fashion. Absolutely. Wow. Um, let me just set the stage for you where we are recording. We're in Mary Lou's um, apartment in Park on Park Avenue in New York, and she has sketches personalized sketches from Betsy Johnson, Norma Kamali, Yves Saint Laurent, Christian Lacroix, Karl Lagerfeld, and Albert Elbaz. And she has an expansive library of books, um, many of which she's written forwards for and and has written in. So I want to mention those as well. There's books on Thierry Mugler, Halston, Sonia Riekel, Jeffrey Bean, and one that's coming out soon, Dame Zonder Rhodes, for her 50th year in business. This is the industry icon that Mary Lou is. Um, and I like to call her the angel who wears Prada. <laughs> yeah, because she because, wrote a, a wonderful, wonderful bio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the title. It was great. I thank loved you. it. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I wrote an article on her called The Angel Wears Prada because she's had such a colorful life and has really made her mark in the fashion industry. Um, So tell us about certain eras uh, in time where fashion and politics and culture kind of melded together. Maybe let's start from the 50s. Well, the 50s, sure. Yeah. But to me, the 60s were the decade that really changed everything. Uh Uh-huh. Until the 60s, uh, young women dressed like their mother. In the 60s, all of these kind of amazing world changes, the mods and the rockers in London, a little later on in the 60s, the hippie, this never happened before. Really, women had not shown their thighs. They had shown their knees in Mm -hmm. the 30s. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this was such an amazing time of change. Right. Uh, Tom Ford said that he felt that designers always cared most about the decade that they were first interested in fashion. And and so he said for him, it was the 70s. And forever, the 70s will be in the back of his mind. Mm. Um, I just wrote one of my columns saying that because the 80s are of such importance right now, it's because, you know, there are a lot of designers younger than Tom Ford now. Yes. And yes. the 80s were their moment. Right. And that, I know that's why we're seeing so many 80s clothes. Yes, absolutely. We have like scrunchies and tie dye and <laughs> well, and big shoulders. Yes. And androgyny started right. in the 80s. Um, Giorgio Armani. Jacket became the mantle of authority. Mm. The, it was woman as executive. That had never happened before. Yeah, the power suit. Yep. What's your take on, on the 90s and the 2000s? Well, the 90s were brought in minimalism. And a minimalism has recurred again in these collections, just the runway collections for spring 2020. But the the new minimalism, to the credit of the designers, they're wonderful tweaks. Mm-hmm. Nothing, uh, well, yes, some were copied almost verbatim, but yeah. most of the lookbacks were treated with, let's bring it into today. There's one um, instance I want to share with the listeners is you were there when Yves Saint Laurent 
took over House of Dior. Yeah, that's when Miss Nangle called my mother. Right, right. <laughs> what was it like seeing him walk out onto this balcony and be received by a flood of press, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle of Paris? To me, that was a really proof of how important fashion is to the French. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the show, people waited, maybe we stood there maybe an hour, and he finally came out on the balcony. I had never seen so many people at any event. He was only 19. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, that is amazing. And to succeed uh, Christian Dior, the new look, all that was amazing. Yes, absolutely. You've you've seen him through his journey. Yeah. You know, speaking of Dior and Saint Laurent, do you have any particular looks that you well, remember? Yes, Saint Laurent, the Le Smoking. Mm. He brought back the tuxedo. It's not that he was the first designer to show a tuxedo. It had been shown before, but right. he made it. Everyone then did tuxedos. Mm-hmm. Well, it did reach a point where almost anything he did became important. Right, right. Uh, but I think in, uh, the Mondrian look, uh, that he was an early supporter of using art in fashion. And the Mondrian look would be symbolic of that. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Karl Lagerfeld yeah, and Chanel. Yeah. Um, what are some of your you know, memories uh, about the shows that they've had over the years? Oh, yeah. Well, he started taking over the Grand Palais. And one time he brought in ice and snow and created a ski slope. Mm-hmm. One time he created a store, a Chanel store, and everything was appropriately labeled with Chanel. Mm-hmm. And then he made it clear that all everything in that presentation would go to be given for charity. Oh, wow. So it wasn't just a waste of time. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. Um, he was an amazing guy. My favorite Karl Lagerfeld story. My son, Walter, works for CNN, mm-hmm. and he was with Elsa Clanch, and uh, they were covering the collections in Paris, and uh, Walter knew that I ad- adored, admired Carl <laughs> uh, Lagerfeld. So yes. Walter called me uh, the night before, and he said, okay, Mom, um, now we're going to be interviewing Carl Lagerfeld tomorrow. If I mentioned your name, would he know you? <laughs> and I said, I don't know. Try yeah. it. Yeah. So he called me back the next day and he said, Mom, Carl Lagerfeld remembered you. And he's been to our house in, in Beverly Hills and he knew that we'd had a fire and he knew all these things. I said, well, see, I told you. No, I didn't tell him, though, really. <laughs> you did Oh my gosh, how um, humble of you, you know? (laughs) That is the coolest thing. Oh my gosh. And just yesterday, I I have a letter from him. It's probably right over there saying, uh, you're the only one I know. This is when I was the editor of the Los Angeles, fashion editor Mm -hmm. of the Los Angeles Times. And it was a letter from him and he said, "Uh, you're the only one I know in Los Angeles, so please keep in touch. That is amazing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Tell us how you met your husband, because okay. there is a story there, yeah. and it's okay. journalism-related, too. Yeah. I was working for the LA Times, and I'd only been there, I think, about eight months and loved it. 
And uh, I got a call from this man in New York. He said, I got your name from Peg Zwecker. She was the fashion editor of the Chicago Daily News. And he said, "Um, I have hired Peg and other fashion editors to interview buyers for me and my magazine, which is about fabrics. And it was a division of McCall's. McCall's magazine, right. Yes. So he said, would you be interested? And I said, sure, I would do that. Mm -hmm. So I think I wrote two or three interviews for him. And then I got a call saying uh, he would like to pay my way to come to New York to interview, to be the editor of the magazine I had been interviewing buyers for. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, but I can't do that. I just started here at the LA Times. (laughs) And he said, well, think about it. So I went home that night and I opened the Bible and I thought, I, there's got to be a message here. and went, boom, like that. Okay. And it talked about going east. <gasps> I mean, it was amazing. So I thought, well, that's it. Yes. I'm going. Yeah, that's your sign. And I mean, so, you and I both believe in astrology. And, yeah. And yeah, okay. that's so an I, ominous I, sign right there. I get there and I expected a man to have be smoking a cigar with egg on his vest. Okay. <laughs> that's the way his voice came over Right, to me. right, right. But instead, he was... Well, instead, no, he he was very well-dressed. Right. (laughs) So this was in... I started there then in January. Okay. And we got married in June. Oh, how sweet. When you know, you know. And my... Well, my favorite story, uh, one day after work, he said, I'm going to walk you home. Mm -hmm. And I lived on Gramercy Park. So he walked me home. He had a wonderful sense of humor. He said, now, if you think I'm going to kiss you goodnight, you're crazy. And I said, and if you think I'm going to let you, you, you're you're crazy. (laughs) That's That's how we met. That's wonderful. And he didn't kiss me goodnight. Yeah, good. Oh, I'm so glad. Not on the first date. No. Um, And then, so that led to um, your marriage. And Mm. tell us about that, about... um, having kids and starting your family. Okay. Uh, We were married in 1961. In 1963, Walter was born. In 1965, Andy. And I always, Arthur, I say, well, we had two kids on McCall's. (laughs) I was so fortunate. I don't think this could happen today. Mm -hmm. Um, um, Arthur's mother, uh, who is an opera singer, lived with us. Okay. It was always such a comfort to know that she was there right. when I was work. She didn't do anything. We had a full-time housekeeper mm-hmm. again. Uh, so when I came home at night, I was uh, dying to play with my sons. Uh, <laughs> I felt so at ease and not worried at all about what was going on at home. Right. That's that's really good to have. And as they say, it does take a village. Yeah. And if you have Family members in your village, it's even better. Oh, yeah. Well, like Nanny. Mm -hmm. She was just phenomenal. Right. You know, just to know that she was there. Exactly. Exactly. Any fond childhood memories, whether it's like riding bikes for the first time or graduation or... Andy, my son, who is now the CEO of the American University Council on Disabilities. Andy has spent his life defending the rights of the disabled. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got Andy, helped get Andy a job um, at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. Well, he stole things from Uh the grocery store. (laughs) And I I mean, I was just, I couldn't believe my son has 
stealing things. Mm -hmm. So I made him take everything back and tell the person at wherever it was that he had stolen. Yeah, and apologize. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was a shock. Mm -hmm. Then Walter is in high school, and all of a sudden... Uh, I didn't like the police knocking on the door. There were like 12. He had been uh, given 12 tickets that he never paid for. Oh, so <laughs> I brought him to court mm-hmm. and uh, made him uh, pay mm-hmm. and work for to pay those back. So when your children do something bad, mm-hmm. oh, you, you, or I did. I felt it was all my fault. Yeah, uh, I was the wrong one that didn't do things right, or they wouldn't be doing that. Right, right. What kind of mom were you? I mean, were you? I was just. They loved me because fun loving. Well, and- I didn't have to do anything bad <laughs> because I had people at home who right. would do that. Right, right. <laughs> or <That's> Arthur. Right. <laughs> okay. So he was more of the disciplinarian. Walter uh, lost three girlfriends. Because he told them that I was his best friend. And I said, now, why did you do that? And yeah. I mean, of course, they're going to hate me. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And yeah, he it's said, evolution. And then one day he said to me, he said, I do that, Mom, because it's the truth. You, you are my best friend. And if they can't accept that, I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I, I, that was such an amazing thing. Yes. You know? But I still think he should never say that. <laughs> no, but that's, yeah, he just wants to say the truth and um, more power to him for doing that and giving you that importance. Anything that you learned years ago that maybe we could kind of implement into our lives now? Because we are um, in a world where everything's so digital and there's social media and there's all these um, oh, pervasive things out there. The, those students from Parkland were amazing, are mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they uh, later on agreed to go, I think it was a month, no, probably a week or two, mm-hmm. without going online. Okay, and how that changed everything. They talked more to their friends, and so I I would think if you could limit the hours spent online and right. spend more one on one, that it would be very helpful. Yes, yes. Because online you can't read someone's eyes, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. or their smile, right. or their frown, or you know. Who are some of your other? Like friends in the industry that you stay in contact oh, with. You know? Stan Herman. Mm-hmm. Stan uh, Designer was the president of the CFDA for mm-hmm. longer than any other person. Mm-hmm. He still designs for QVC and he does uniforms. At one time, he did uniforms not just for like an airline, but also FedEx. And okay. he, uh, at that moment, I was writing about him. I said, he arguably de- um, designs clothes for more people than any other living human. Exactly. Because of all the uniforms. Right, right. And you're um, dear friends with Norma Kamali, yes. Yo Lee, yeah. Betsy Johnson, oh, Ralph Rucci, yeah. the list goes yeah, on. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> you, I mean, I've met so many of them through you and um, accompanied you at the shows and so... Um, it's amazing how you keep up these friendships, you know, because everyone is so well, busy. Well, I've and- lost some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, just you just lose track. Right, right, right. Let's not forget our quote of the day.
Is there a quote that you live by? Yes, there is. Don't worry about anything over which you have no control. And the time I feel most relieved, I don't have to do anything this minute, is when I'm in a taxi. (laughs) You know, it's not my responsibility. It's the driver. I'm here. I've got the money to pay for it. I might as well just look around, smell the roses. But yeah, just take in the New York scene. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, That's a really nice quote. You know, you are such a vibrant person. You know, I've been in the industry over 60 years mm-hmm. and you're just so young at heart. And mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many people who are half your age that don't have your energy and your tenacity. But that's a gift that I am like this. Well, but, Bill Cunningham, great advice for years would say to me, don't ever stop working. Mm. And I do think as you get older, that's very good advice because if you're not working, there's time to worry right, about right. yourself. What am I doing? Yeah. I don't, I can't Doctor's support myself. This, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So and the, an think, idle mind is a devil's workshop. That's right. I, I do think there's such truth in that. Never stop working if you can. Right, yeah. right, exactly. Okay. Now, the other thing is, to me, a motto is to help young people. Mm. Uh, I know I can open doors, or I, not just young people, anybody who <laughs> seeks my help, I really try to help. It's just that I enjoy that right. uh, selfishly. Right. I love yes. it. <laughs> no, and I think that that's um, something so unique about you, and it's something that I appreciate and value that you you feel truly happy when others succeed yeah. um, and you help in any way you can. Yes. So that, that means the world to me. Any last thoughts that you want to share with our listeners? Well, yes. I would like to tell the listeners how lucky I am to know you oh. and how the world is lucky to have Kanika in it and sharing her kindness I've seen her with her children. She's so loving. She's someone to look up to. She's mom sense. Oh, wow. Thank you so much, Mary Lou. It was such a delight to be sitting and chatting with Mary Lou, my dear friend and mentor and sorority sister. We did our secret little handshake (laughs) after the episode, which was so fun. She truly is a force. Not only does she leave her mark on the fashion industry as an acclaimed editor and writer and through her um, trend forecast presentations, but she's such a wonderful soul. She just believes in being kind to people. And that's, you know, so, so important and is the reason why I wrote the piece on her many years ago called The Angel Wears Prada, because sure, we've all read the book and seen the movie The Devil Wears Prada, but she is someone who, you know, definitely challenges the norms and stereotypes of the fashion world. (laughs) So thank you. Thank you, Mary Lou, for being on my show. And if you're loving what you're hearing, leave me a review. I'm sure you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. So go on the platform and leave me your feedback. I value and appreciate 
all of my listeners and love hearing from you. Be sure to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at KanikaXOXO and write to me at that's total mom sense at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening. Bye now. That's total mom sense.